0: Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Geopolitical Report for August 1st, 2022. I'm Phil Adler. The investment world seems more unstable these days with the coronavirus and Ukraine war causing seismic shifts in economies and contributing to political crises for some top U.S. allies. These political events in Japan, England, and Italy do share certain common features and have implications for investors. Joining me is Confluence Investment Management Market Strategy. Just Patrick Theron Hernandez. Patrick, let's discuss what's going on in each of these countries separately before we try to arrive at broader takeaways. First, Japan, where the former prime minister Abe was assassinated. Describe the influence he wielded in Japan, even though he was no longer in official office. Well, hi,
1: Phil. Thanks for having me on the program. Yes, it might seem strange to many Americans that Shinzo Abe's assassination was such a big deal for Japan. In our presidential government system, U.S. presidents typically step away from politics once they leave office focusing more on, say, writing books or building houses with Habitat for Humanity and the like. But in parliamentary systems, it's more common for former prime ministers to remain in the legislature and retain lots of influence. And that was the case with Abe, who resigned as Prime Minister in 2020 because of health problems. He remained active in politics and was still quite influential. He continued to push his key ideas like amending Japan's constitution to put its military on a firmer legal foundation and bolstering its capabilities against China perhaps most dramatic, Abe, over the last year or so, was helping make the public case that a Chinese takeover of Taiwan must be considered a threat to Japan's vital interests requiring
0: it to respond. So Abe had been attempting to build up Japan's military forces. Will the current Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, continue this effort? Yes. Even though
1: Kishida comes from a more moderate pacifist faction of Abe's party, he has pushed strongly for bolstering Japan's defense capabilities. Two of his most important policy initiatives are to essentially double Japan's defense budget to 2% of the country's gross domestic product and developing its own strike missiles that could attack foreign military bases that pose a threat to Japan.
0: Of course, the key targets for those missiles would be China and North Korea. Is this something the United States should welcome? Well, I think so. As the Western allies learned in World
1: War II, and as Ukraine and other countries have learned since then, it's dangerous to ignore a rising geopolitical threat like China. The U.S. administration has therefore been working hard to reinvigorate its alliances with strong, capable countries around the world. A stronger, more proactive Japan would be a very helpful ally to help deter Chinese geopolitical threats in the Indo-Pacific region, along with countries like South Korea, Australia, and probably New Zealand.
0: Japan has gone against world trends by keeping its interest rates very low in spite of inflation. The yen has suffered as a result. Does the current Prime Minister, Kishida have any changes in mind?
1: Well, we don't see any immediate change, mostly because the term of Bank of Japan Governor Kuroda, who was appointed by Abe, won't expire until next spring. As recently as June, Kashida had urged Kuroda to stick by his ultra-low interest rate policy and 2% inflation target in order to minimize financing costs for businesses, despite the downward pressure on the yen. But of course, Abe was still alive when Kashida made that statement. I, I guess it's conceivable that Kashida could appoint a new governor next year here, who would be more amenable to hiking rates and bolstering the yen. But the Abe-driven consensus in Japan is
0: still toward low rates and a weak yen. So I don't think that's the most likely outlook. Is Japan likely to become more attractive for U.S. investors?
1: You know, if you look across the whole waterfront of foreign markets, Japan already looks to be in the best position for near-term economic growth and stock market performance, as long as you strip out the potential negative effects of a further decline in the yen. In fact, in our asset allocation strategies, we've recently taken out all foreign stock exposure except for a currency hedged Japan fund. I think that's a pretty good vote of confidence for Japan, and it speaks to Japan's relatively better prospects while Europe is under the threat from the Ukraine war and its associated energy crisis, and as China is at risk of more government policy interventions, and as other developing countries are struggling with the strong dollar and rising interest rates.
0: Let's turn to England. We have there the resignation of Prime Minister Boris Johnson and the competition to determine his successor. What are the differences between the major candidates? The differences are really stark.
1: Former Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sonak, a former investment banker and hedge fund manager, is perhaps the quintessential elite moderate conservative. For example, he's focused heavily on balancing the public budget to the point where he's championed a hike in Britain's corporate income tax. In contrast, Foreign Minister Liz Truss exemplifies today's populist far-right conservative. For example, she champions a much more independent foreign policy, including Brexit, a strong military, and low taxes, but she's much more open to keeping public spending high so long as it serves her more conservative base.
0: Who do you currently expect will prevail? Well, remember that this is a race to replace
1: Johnson as Conservative Party leader and by implication as prime minister. The people who will decide are a few hundred thousand Conservative Party members at the grassroots. The latest polling suggests that the broader British electorate would prefer Sunak to be prime minister, but the party members
0: who are going to vote seem to prefer trust. If I had to bet right now, I'd bet on trust. Patrick, will Britain continue to test its relationship with the European Union? In all likelihood, yes. After all, as foreign minister, Truss has been instrumental
1: in pushing back against the EU-UK Brexit deal and the provisions that Johnson didn't like, even though he signed off on it. In particular, Truss will likely support abrogation of the Northern Ireland Protocol, which is where the EU and the UK agreed to impose border checks on trade between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. In sum, we can probably expect continued trade tensions between the UK and the EU for some time to come, even under
0: trust. Is an environment, Patrick, of higher interest rates, lower taxes, and more government spending a likely outcome in England?
1: Well, trust wins as expected. That's exactly the kind of outcome that we would
0: expect for the whole UK. How might this change the climate for U.S. investors? Well, that kind of policy mix,
1: along with the deregulation that trust also wants, could provide a lot of stimulus to the domestic economy and potentially support trade over the longer term. However, the most notable change might be that it could well boost the pound. Like most other major currencies, the pound has been depreciating as the Federal Reserve hiked interest rates aggressively. If trust has her way and the Bank of England takes on tighter monetary policy as well, sterling could start to appreciate again.
0: Let's look at Italy now. Italy does seem to have the highest degree of instability among the three countries we're discussing. A new government must be formed following the forced resignation of Mario Draghi. What's at stake here for the European Union? Well, what's at stake for the Union is really the union
1: itself. For one thing, the populist and far-right politicians who seem likely to form Italy's next government have often called for Italy to break away and strike its own course again. Certainly, they'd like to regain Italy's independent currency, the lira, and allow it to fall as it did in the pre-Euro days in order to buoy Italian exports. But more generally, they'd like Italy to break away from a lot of the rules imposed by Brussels, including fiscal constraints. Because of that risk, the political questions in Italy will tend to undermine the value of Italian bonds and drive up their yields compared with Germany. That's going to make it very hard for the European Central Bank to tighten policy without sparking a financial crisis in Italy.
0: What's at stake here in terms of European support for the Ukraine war?
1: Well, a new right-wing government in Italy could also undermine the EU's support for Ukraine in the war. The most likely leader of such a government, Georgia Maloney of the Brothers of Italy party, has changed her stripes recently and expressed strong support for Ukraine against Russia's aggression. But the other main right-wing parties and their leaders have traditionally been much more supportive of Russian President Putin. A right-wing government in Rome would therefore tend to slow down the the EU's effort to sanction Russia and send more weapons and other help to Ukraine.
0: Well, the new parliamentary elections will be upon us quite quickly, September 25th. Do you have a prediction? Based on the latest polling, it looks like the right-wing Brothers of Italy party would win
1: the most seats in parliament, followed by the right-wing League and Forza Italia and the populist Five Star Movement. However, keep in mind that a recent constitutional amendment will cut the number of seats in parliament to just 400 from 630 previously. It's not entirely clear how the new, bigger districts will affect the actual outcome. Don't be surprised if there are surprises.
0: Patrick, are there themes common to these three separate political crises in Japan, England, and Italy?
1: Yes, and we think the most important common theme is that in in these parliamentary systems where governments can be more responsive to the electorate's changing views, the shifts we're seeing all underscore the growing power of a more nationalist, more populist, more right-wing form of conservatism that can encompass a rather unorthodox economic policy focused on tax cuts, but not necessarily spending cuts. That
0: change could have big implications for investors going forward. Would you say that these events present the world as a more dangerous place? Well, we think the more nationalist, isolationist foreign
1: policy that this movement supports would tend to facilitate the trend toward deglobalization and geopolitical fracturing that we've long talked about. It would tend to help produce a world where the U.S. steps back from its traditional role as global hegemon, and the world breaks up into relatively separate geopolitical and economic blocks, that world would likely be a lot more tense than the world under U.S. hegemony. So, yes, we think tensions could more easily break out into outright conflicts.
0: And finally, would you say these events suggest, in the long term, a less friendly environment for investors?
1: Well, in broad terms, yes. Since a fractured world would likely have less secure trade, shorter and less efficient supply chains, higher prices and inflation, probably lower corporate profits and lower equity values than would otherwise be the case. On the other hand, six sectors or assets would likely benefit. For example, this fractious, violent new world would likely be good for defense industrial stocks and commodities as we've written about many times before.
0: Thank you, Patrick. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.